helping today our series uh, on uh, the life of Jacob. And uh, we're going to look for a second week at the text we looked at uh, uh, last week, and that is uh, Jacob on his way uh, to his uncle's. Um, he sleeps and has this dream. Uh, we majored last week on the fact that God promised to be with him and what a big uh, thing that is. Uh, today we're going to look a little bit more at the dream itself and at Jacob's response and see what we uh, can glean from that. But uh, before uh, I read the text, let me pray. Father, we uh, rejoice today in uh, the fact that uh, your grace reaches people, even, even people like us. And so as we consider that today, I pray that you would shred our self-righteousness, make us glad uh, that you are the kind of God who pursues uh, even those who uh, have uh, no interest in you, that you come, that you welcome the prodigal, uh, and that uh, you are with us even as we struggle in our sin and rebellion. So bless us today as we look at our father Jacob, as we consider him. I pray that uh, uh, we would consider even more his offspring, his son, Jesus Christ. And so bless us today, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so uh, Genesis 28, 1 to 5, and then 10 to 22, the text is in the bulletin. Uh, up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethul, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones at the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you... And your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There, there, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me 
and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So one of the questions that I think we have to ask when we, when we look at a text like this is, what would we do with a person like Jacob? What, what would you do with someone like that, right? Who's in your family, who's in your church, maybe in your small group, maybe in your house? What are you going to do with a lying, cheating, stealing mama's boy? What, what are you going to do with him? What, what, what do you do? You know, one, one of the things that happens to us when we, when we read these stories is we forget, you know, that uh, Jacob is a scoundrel. Maybe a smooth scoundrel. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and as you think about it, I mean, what would you do with that? But even more than that, you know, if we believe what the Bible says, that we are Abraham's offspring and his heirs through the promise of Jesus Christ, then Jacob's one of us, and we're one of him. He's in our family. We belong to him. So what kind of people do you want to be associated with? What kind of people do you want to be in the group with? You want want to sit at the cool kids' table at lunch, right? I mean, we all, whoever we deign to be, the the cool kids. I um, have learned so much as I parented my children because as they prepared to go to college, uh, I was focused on their development and their potential employment opportunities, right? (laughs) So as we're looking at colleges and we're thinking through that, I'm like, here's a great program that looks like this would be a great fit for you, for your gifts, your abilities. And this, you know, you get your interests here. This would be a great thing for you. We should, we should definitely look at the school. And you should, you know, this, this program's for you. And I thought, that's a slam dunk. Right? That's, that's, that's why you go to college. There's logic in that, right? That that's, you go to college to prepare yourself to be a functioning person, knowledgeable person, and... Uh, have a great job, make a lot of money so you can keep your parents up in their old age because they're spending this money to send you to college. And then you realize that's not what they're interested in at all. Marty's dream for our kids, and this, please bear with me, William and Mary, graduates. Marty's dream for our kids from the first time we moved to Virginia was... I want our kids to go to William and Mary because I love Colonial Williamsburg so much. This will give me an excuse to come here all the time, and this will be awesome. It will just be awesome. So when our oldest was getting ready to to graduate, he was, you know, we went down to William and Mary, and we, you know, you go in and you get the spiel about how it's the best place ever. All the schools do that. And uh, then you go on a tour after you're done. So we're in there with the spiel with a bunch of other pr- uh, prospective students. And my son leans over to me about five minutes into the presentation. And he's like, I'm not going on the tour. We're out of here. Soon as we're done, you're taking me to lunch. 
And I'm like, why? What is wrong with you? He's like, look around the room. So I'm looking around the room. I see a bunch of teenagers. And he's like, "Mm mm-mm, these people are not for me. And that multiplied itself over and over again with our kids. Even when they would look at a web page of a college or a university, and there'd be pictures of students, and they're like, eh, we're not going there. Look at those people. I'm like, it's a stock photo. They, they, don't, they don't even go to school there. He's like, well, if they choose those people to be in their stock photo, I am uninterested in associating myself with them, right? Uh, and it, it was so terrible because Marty was sitting with the other kids in another part of the room, and when we get up to leave, they're taking the tour, and Tate and I are going to the other door, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, he won't go on the tour, and she's like, well, I'm going. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm like, well, you could go to school here, honey. So uh, it all worked out, you know, it always, as it always does, it, it, it all worked out. But it is funny, right? Who do we associate ourselves with? What would we do with a Jacob, a scoundrel, a lying, a cheat, a grasper? What would God do with it? So here's the thing. Uh, The only thing we can say about God's choice of Jacob is that he loved him. He loved him because he loved him because he loved him. And God, in his grace, sovereign grace, reaches out and reveals himself to Jacob and promises himself to Jacob and promises that through Jacob's family, Jesus Christ will enter into the world and through this lone young man sleeping out in the open, because his brother wants to kill him, and because he stole the birthright and he lied, God says, I'm focused on you and your family, and through you I will bring to fruition all of my promises. It's a remarkable, remarkable story. And so we try to look at this, we try to make sense of these kinds of things by trying to to make grace... God's sovereign love, that he loves who he loves, we try to make it palatable and reasonable to our minds. Like, like God sees so much potential in Jacob, right? That's what, we, that's what we want to say. He had potential, right? Well, the fact of the matter is... Um, Nothing could be further from the truth. And anytime we believe that God loves us because there's something about us that's particularly endearing to God, there's something about us that uh, we've done, some position we hold, or some sacrifice we've made, or something we've done that suddenly gets us in God's good graces, we are in dangerous territory. The hymn writer calls it amazing grace, right? And it's amazing grace, not because God saves Jacob, as amazing as that is, but because God knows you and me, all about us, warts and all, and he 
ties himself, fastens himself to us in love and grace and commitment forever and ever. And so it's a really, this, this scene that happens here at Bethel is, is such a profound thing because God comes to meet Jacob. Jacob is not seeking God. Jacob is not, we, we have no, we have very little information about what his understanding of God even is like. Certainly, he had some witness from his mother and his father, but he doesn't have the Bible. He doesn't have Sunday school. He doesn't, he doesn't have vacation Bible school. He doesn't, he doesn't have that whatever he's gotten, he's gotten from his parents. And, and, and the, his understanding of who this God is, is, is pretty paltry, right? And so what he's doing here as he is fleeing, God comes to him. Now, one of the things to note here is that where he is when he has this dream is about 60 miles or so from his home. And I think it's interesting that God comes to him at this place where he's about 60 miles away from home. 60 miles. Probably a little tired, right? He's on foot, probably a little hungry. Maybe he's running out of whatever uh, food or water that Rebecca gave to him. He's realizing he's, got a, he's gone a long way on foot, and he's got a long way to go, and he's doing it all by himself as a young man, right? And so in this moment, 60 miles from home, on the dark of night, he lays, he puts his head down on a rock, and God comes to him in a dream, and God gives him, right, God reassures him that he'll be with him and that all of the promises that he made to his grandfather and his father will come to fruition in him, that God will be with him, that God will make him a great nation, that God will provide for him, that God will give him the land where he is sleeping, and that God will give uh, through him the blessing that he promised all the way back in Genesis, that through this family, through Jacob, God would, re would bless all the world, right? And so while Jacob is alone, having lost his family, he's on the run, experiencing the due temporal consequences for his sin, God reiterates his promise, his presence, and power to achieve what he will through Jacob and his offspring. Next slide. Jacob is experiencing the consequences of his deception and stealing but he experiences these consequences in a relationship with the promise-making and keeping God. God will be with him and bless him even as he struggles. And that is so important for us to understand today because sometimes what happens to us is when we sin and our anger, our bitterness, when we, when we uh, find ourselves in rebellion against God, and there are consequences in the world that land in our lap as a result of our sin, that somehow we think God is absent from that, or that somehow or other God's covenant, God's promise to us in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of us dealing with the consequences of our actions, that somehow God is not there. But here's the great news for you today. The great news for me today is this fact. If you're struggling today with the consequences of your sin, if you're struggling today with the issues that have landed in your lap because of things that you, you know you should not have done, things you should not have said, things you should not have coveted, lusted after, things that, whatever it might be, God is not absent in that struggle or in those consequences. In fact, if, if you're in Christ today, he's right there with you in it. 
He doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't leave you to your own devices. He is not leaving Jacob alone. He doesn't even let Jacob go out there and say, you know what? You're on your own, kid. You stole the birthright. You figure it out. God is so gracious to come to his rebellious prodigal people and say, hey, you know what? I am with you. I am for you. And I have promised to be with you. I have promised to be for you. I have promised to see you through to the end. And I will do it. So even though he is experiencing these difficulties, God does not leave him alone. God, God will continue to be with him and, and uh, uh, to bless him. And so the promise here is made to someone who is all alone, on the run, with literally nothing but the promise and presence of God. Sometimes one of the things that we forget about sin and one of the horrible uh, consequences in our lives of sin is that sin is very isolating, right? It often ruptures relationships. It often ruptures us from other people. And sometimes, sometimes it, even if it doesn't rupture the relationship, that it's a, a sin within the relationship, our own sense of shame, our own sense of guilt, our, our own sense of whatever's going on that we know that we sin put, alienates us from other people, right? The great news of the gospel is, is that, uh, this, that God is with us even as we struggle through our alienation and the consequences of our sin. God pursues us. He pursues his people. He will not let you go. He will not let you go. He will not let you go. He's not going to let Jacob go. And that should encourage our hearts today and move us in the sense that this God of grace, his grace is so much bigger, so much more scandalous, so much larger than the way we tend to think about uh, the way God operates with his people. Now, what's interesting too here is, is uh, Jacob's response. Um, so while one may criticize his response, right, he says, wow, you know, uh, well, God, if you, if you do what you said you're going to do, then what I will do is, uh, if you'll be with me and keep me in this way and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord, then you'll, then you'll be my God. Right? Uh, I went back uh, in, in the transcript of, uh, or in the appendix of my uh, demon thesis. I preached a series on the patriarchs, and I thought this week, I'm like, what was I saying about this passage in, I think, 1997? Well, I'm so critical of Jacob. So critical. So self-righteously above him. Uh, I might have even called him a jerk. I don't know, but, but it was... And I, I read that again this week, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm older, maybe I'm mellower, maybe I'm laxer, maybe I'm slacker, I don't know. I wish he had a better response, but I tend to think now, you know, this is the best he can do. 
He's worshiping. He anoints the stone. He addresses God in prayer. And what does he know about God? Not much, except that God showed up in this dream with this crazy ramp up to heaven with angels going up and down it and speaks to him and makes these promises to him. Then Jacob probably thinks, you know, well, God made some promises to me. I'll make some promises to him, right? And so one of the things that I think is important here is that we not despise in some ways. I mean, we, we want to grow through this. We want Jacob to mature, right, to see God as a God of grace. But the fact of the matter is, this is probably a, this is a pretty good response. And it's uh, for somebody who knows so little about the nature of God and the nature of his covenant, the nature of his relationship with us, this is not a terrible response. We hope he grows through it. We hope he develops it, but he's dealing with God, and God is dealing with him, and, and he is recognizing the fact that his life now will be bound up with this God who uh, has uh, come to him. So he worships him, and he engages with him, probably in the only way he knows how. Next slide. Uh, so what are we to make of the dream itself, right? Uh, I find it very ironic, you know, Georgia read the New Testament reading to us uh, earlier in the service. You've probably forgotten about it by now, but it's that, uh, that great uh, picture of Nathaniel, Philip meeting Jesus, running to get Nathaniel, and Nathaniel uh, 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 comes up to him and he, uh, he says, uh, wait a minute, it's Yes, Nathaniel is the one that, that Jesus says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How ironic that Jesus chooses to use this illustration of the ramp to heaven in the, that comes from the story of the deceiver. I don't know what to make of that. That just occurred to me this morning, but I think that's a, that's a pretty crazy uh, picture because Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, if you read Genesis as a whole, one of the things that you recognize is that there's a stairway to heaven that appears earlier in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 11, uh, we read about the, uh, uh, the passage where uh, the people develop technology. They develop uh, pitch and stonemasonry and that sort of thing. And so they do what everybody decides to do when you get a lot of technology is, I can be better than everybody else. I can find my way to God. I can become God myself through my technology. And so they begin to build uh, this tower. And God says, this is not how you get to me. And in this pride, he comes down and he confuses their languages. And now God gives us a picture of how do you get to heaven? Well, heaven has to come to you. You can't build a stairway to God. You can't, by your own sheer will, decide, I'm going to get my way to God. God must come to us first. And so when Jesus picks up on this theme of the stairway to heaven, what, what, he's, what he's showing us is, is that God has come all the way to us. That in his incarnation, God has come in the flesh into our lives, to live our life, to die our death, to rise again, so that, so that the God that we recognize here, the way that we have is not a stairway, not a ramp that we climb, 
but that Jesus himself is actually the way, that he's the ramp, that he is the way that we have a relationship with God, right? So we don't, we don't have a dream about a stairway to heaven. We have a person who is that stairway. We have God who has come in the flesh. And so that's the, that's, that's the great news for us today. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, we always have this tendency to fall back on, I somehow or other, I did something to get myself to heaven. I did something somehow or other to grab God by the big toe and get him to pay me some mind. But the fact of the matter is, God always comes to us. You know, we talk about people who are seekers, um, that are seeking after God. And I believe there are people who seek after God. But what I believe about those people who are seeking after God is that God sparked that in them first. That he sought them first. That he came to them first. That he revealed himself to them first. That by his spirit, they come to grips first and foot. That he, he says, you belong to me. I will reveal myself to you. Not because you deserve it not because you earned it, not because you've even put yourself in the right position to get it, but God loves who he loves. And God is gracious to whom he will be gracious to. And that shouldn't give us a lot of pride this morning, and that shouldn't even scare us, because the fact of the matter is, we have the very promise of God that he ties himself to us, but we also have the promise of God as we come to his table today. If you worry, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God hasn't said his covenant promise upon me. Maybe somehow or other I'm outside of that. Well, as we come to the table today, I want you to hear, I want you to see, and I want you to be reassured today about how the love of God comes to us and how we respond to it. Hear these words of institution. Then came the day 